Well, good morning. I want to thank Chris for uh, teaching last week. I uh, appreciate it, uh, the good job that he did. People are telling me what a great job he did. Uh, I wish I could say it's gl- I'm glad to be back from Colorado, but that would be a lie. <laughs> Man, is it hot here. Something happened when we left. But uh, <clears throat> we, had a, we had a great time and a, a time of refreshment and enjoyment. Hey, we're in John chapter 5. And uh, somebody who was kidding me the other day said, we're going to be in John for a while, aren't we? And I said, ah, it's possible, uh, <clears throat> you know. Uh, as I said to you before, that the Gospel of John has more, if you will, interviews or occasions where Jesus meets people or gets in certain situations where he discusses life uh, than any other Gospel. And I'm, we're going to get out of chapter 5 today. There's still more stuff I said to Becky. You know, I, <clears throat> I have this tendency that I just want to drain it. And uh, she said, we feel that sometimes, Cliff. <laughs> I'm not sure what she meant, <laughs> that who's being drained after all. Anyway, uh, but, but this idea of these conversations with Jesus. And if you want to turn your Bibles to John chapter eight, uh, chapter 5, verse 18. Somebody asked me one time, what does that FF mean? That means I don't know where I'm going to stop. <laughs> I got an idea, but who knows? Uh, it literally means and following the verses after that. But it is, it's a good way to say, ah, I'm not going to commit to any particular place to stop. So uh, we can do that. Uh, You'll notice here uh, this uh, account uh, is one that two weeks ago we ended with when Jesus had healed the lame man or the man that was sick uh, by the pool of Bethesda. And uh, the the, uh, uh, religious leaders and everybody gets all worked up and uh, they are mad that He healed somebody on the Sabbath. Little notice did they have that He had healed a guy that had been sick for 38 years. That sort of escaped them. Uh, And we'll talk a little bit about that, about how, how does that kind of thing escape people who are just so rigid and legalistic, uh, and that that he had done it on the Sabbath, uh, which again uh, was something that got Jesus into trouble. So in verse 18, these words are recorded. It says, For this reason, therefore the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. They're talking about Jesus now. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal to God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them. So here, and here's the, here's the response. We want to kill you. We're, we're ready to destroy you. And Jesus is answering them now and saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something that He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself or what he himself is doing and the father will show him greater works than these so that you will not marvel for just as the father raises the dead and gives life even so the son also gives life to whomever he wishes or wills for not even the father judges anyone but he has given all judgment to the son so that all will honor the son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in Him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. And then in verses 25 to 29, if we get there, 
you'll notice that Jesus is sort of explaining and giving a little more detail. I'm just going to try to get there, but I'm not going to make that commitment yet. That He's giving more detail about this matter of life and judging. That Jesus as the Son of God is, has the power, the authority, if you will, for life and judgment. And when I read this uh, over uh, the last several weeks, uh, one of the things that sort of uh, I drew out of this passage uh, is one thing is this uh, powerful presence of Jesus. You know, I think it's interesting that, that sometimes when we think about Jesus, that we think about love and kindness and mercy and like that. But this guy was a powerful guy. That, that may be too crude to say this guy. Uh, I was telling a person one time that was uh, acting a certain way, I said, you know, the guy we serve doesn't want us to live like that. He said, oh, oh. <laughs> but, but this guy, if you want to call him that, is a powerful presence. Uh, he has taken on the religious leaders of the day and he is changing, if you will, some of the thought processes and some of the ideas that are going on that day. And I, so I just have this as our... Oh, I might want to give this to you. Here we go. I've been in Colorado. Uh, the conversation here is Jesus' powerful presence. Jesus' powerful presence. And I want to suggest to you that, that sometimes we need to kind of see Him again in that kind of powerful way. Uh, that brings awe to us as we look at what He's doing. Jesus is not just a nice guy that pats you on the head and kind of sends you on your way. Uh, this guy has some things to say, and this, again, this guy, that, I'm not trying to be irreverent here, but this person, this, this one has things to say to us that, that uh, if you will, are, are, are earth-shattering as we, if we read them carefully. You know, I was thinking about this, the powerful presence. Anybody ever remember reading a book, uh, Dress for Success? I mean, obviously not, but, uh, you know... <clears throat> Ooh, I'm rested. I'm rested. Yeah, so watch out. Yeah, I'm rested. Uh, I read that book some years ago, and uh, others read it, and, and I'm amazed. You, you know, you can go online. I was noticing that I got online the other day. There is what we call the cert, there's a certified image consultant now that you can get to straighten you up. To, to, to make you look, what the idea is, is so that you can be more powerful and more at power in your life and relationships. In Dress for Success, I remember this book suggested that if you wanted to go to a meeting and you wanted people to do what you wanted them to do, if you read this, you heard that you always wore a navy blue suit and what color tie? Red. Yeah, that idea that that's what... Get, I thought, good grief, why didn't I do that all my life? Walk in the house with Becky and say, I'd like breakfast, please. <clears throat> I'm not going into that. Yeah, I got, some I got some marriage frequent flyer miles on this last trip, so I don't need to be using that. <clears throat> but, but the idea was that somehow mysteriously that that would give you like authority and power uh, sort of in your life. I had a friend of mine that kind of took me to task a couple of years ago uh, on, in my office at the university where I teach. There's my name, obviously. Uh, there's my name, and underneath it is my degree. And uh, I graduated with a doctorate 14 years ago and my nameplate still has my master's degree. And they said to me, you need to change that. And I said, my name hasn't changed really. Trust me, it has. <laughs> and they said, no, 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 no. That's what I'm talking about. You need to put on their doctorate. And I said, why is that? He said, well, people respect you. I said, look, look here's, a, here's a rule I live by, okay? Just, just rule. If you're smart, people figure it out. If you're not... <clears throat> No nameplate's going to fix that, <laughs> right? I mean, the idea that you're going to have power, you know, because you have, 
your degree. I, I said one time in a faculty, we need faculty members with less degrees and more temperatures. What we need around here. You'll get that in a minute. It'll... Uh, but, but the idea of power, you know, we all want it. We all think, how can I get... Listen, listen Jesus exhibits some power here in His presence uh, that I think is, is remarkable, maybe, and, and maybe we can learn something from it. But, uh, I, let's, let's look at this powerful presence. Look here, first of all, in this first thing here, is the authority that He claimed. Part of His power is the authority that He claimed. He claimed, if you will, back in verse 18, really, he claimed that he had the authority to act in a way that people thought was wrong on the Sabbath. He had healed a man on the Sabbath. And because of that action, people are all up in arms. And Jesus, if you will, the authority says, wait a minute, and you can read this later in the Gospel, where Jesus said, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. It's Lord, he's Lord of the Sabbath. You know, this is a, a long-standing uh, rule or a long-standing practice in Judaism. And it seems to me that what Jesus' authority is doing here is just saying, you know, you guys have lost contact with the purpose of the Sabbath. You, 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 you're, you're good rule keepers, but you've forgotten what this was all about. Remember, the, the Sabbath was for a person to have a time to rest, and, and, and to relax and to have time with God. It wasn't just some rule to do nothing so that you could just sit around and be lazy. <laughs> it was the idea of honoring God with your life, having time to think and, if you will, to, to, re to reverence Him. But it wasn't just some rule that made you live some kind of ridiculous lifestyle. I, here's the funny thing about rules. They, they'll make you crazy if you live by it. I told one time I came into the, to the church parking lot and... And um, I was going to a meeting, and I was a couple minutes late. Not really because this was, this was my excuse. I, I'm coming to the church parking lot, and we've got a sign right there that says, Stop. I told him I said to wait till it said go. <laughs> you know, there's the rule, right? I mean, you know, this idea, I, I, I'm not against rules. I'm not against understanding that, that rules have some purpose and meaning in them. But what I notice about human nature and I notice about myself is how we can lose the purpose and the meaning behind a rule and completely get wide of it. For instance, the Sabbath is a day we set aside, if you will, to worship and honor God. But sometimes all we do on the Sabbath is go to church. Right? Jesus claimed this kind of authority to say, I know what this day's about. If there's a guy that's been sick for 38 years, I'm going to make him well. I'm going to raise him up. This does all kinds of things to these guys. So that I wrote in my notes here that, that Jesus is in trouble because of the authority that He claims that concern... Now listen to me carefully. I want to be careful here. Concern for the needs of others may be as more important than correctness of action. You see, we're always looking at people's actions. We're always looking at how they act. We never wonder, what is the concern that motivates that? Or is there any concern that motivates it. We're just looking at the, at the behavior where Jesus seems to say that concern for people, concern for their life, concern for their situation is more important than just some rigid correctness. Now I'll go to Paul on this. Uh, he said this in 1 Corinthians 13. You go look at it later. In 1 Corinthians 13. If I have the gift of tongues of men and angels but I don't have love, that's concern. I'm nothing. If I have faith 
all faith so as to remove mountains. But I don't have love. It profits me nothing. If I have all knowledge and understand all mysteries, and yet I don't have love, it counts for nothing. Then Paul goes all the way to this. If I give all that I have and my body to be burned, but have not love, it's nothing. You know what? It's easier to operate with rules than it is to operate with concern. It's easier to, to deal with people based on just what they've done and the rules they've broken or the things they've violated instead of a concern for that person to wonder why would they do that. Jesus is willing to kind of break the cord here to say that it is a concern over other people. It's a concern, if you will. I read a story not too long ago, and it happened to me. I remember, so I thought, this guy wrote a story about how that he had uh, uh, become a soccer coach for a bunch of little kids. You ever, you ever seen that? that? That's just cruel and unusual punishment. I, it's part of you have to be a parent, you know, and you've got to go, and you go, oh, my gosh. Every Saturday, this is our life, you know. You know, somebody's over there. You know. Some kid, you know. That's the goalie, you know. You know, and, and, and this guy uh, decided that he would coach this soccer team. Now, he had seen other coaches. I had a coach in football in Texas that absolutely the way he coached me to work with me, I hated football. In fact, I remember I was, I was going to try for baseball. I was a pretty good baseball player because you don't have to be so big. And I went out for, uh, in my freshman year in high school, and I went out to play baseball, to go out for the team, and I didn't realize who the coach was. And I looked up and I thought, oh, and for fear that he has a relative here today, I shall remain. <laughs> but I, I know his name. Got it emblazoned. I remember out there, and I love baseball because there's really no sport that was kind of equalized because of size. And I'm out there uh, uh, taking uh, flies in center field and I said to the guy beside me, I didn't know coach, what's his name? Again, there may be a relative here. <laughs> uh, was the coach? He said, "Oh yeah, he's a new he's, he's he's a new baseball coach." And I said, "Really? Yeah. Watch this. When the ball came in, I ran ten feet over it in front of it. Then when I went back and grabbed the ball, I threw what we call the rainbow. Like that. I said, "I'm going to do everything because my dad would never let me quit. He wouldn't let me quit a sport. That that I started. I said, "Oh, I'm, this is going to be easy. <laughs> you know." This coach that started these soccer kids had seen how some coaches coach so harshly and so much by the book. You know what kids thought about soccer when they got through? They hated it. Hated the game. He coached that team in such a way, this week we're just going to work on kicking the ball. Next week we're just going to work on lining up correctly. You know, they were terrible. They got beat like 63 to nothing. That's the kind of soccer games I want to go to. You know, I, the World Cup, one to nothing. Or one-to-one, one, and then they both advance. That's very un-American. <laughs> right? Very un-American. That's Bear Bryant. You're kissing your sister, remember? When you tie. Very un-American. <clears throat> uh, can't stand it. Uh, but he, every week they were playing, and, and they were terrible until after about halfway in the season. And they, and they actually won more games than they'd ever won. And the wonderful thing was that the kids loved the game. Are the rules 
and regulations you're following causing you to love the Lord and other people? If it isn't, this Jesus is going to come in and rock your world. If your rule keeping and your regulations and what you think is right or wrong, what you think is acceptable or unacceptable, if it isn't creating in you a greater concern for others and for God, it's going to choke you out. I, I recommend a book. Some of you may be, I, I recommend a book last week by Larry Osborne called, or two weeks ago, or whatever, whenever I was here last. Accidental Pharisees. I want you to get that book by Larry Osborne. Accidental Pharisees. It's the premise of the book that we don't start out like this. We don't get code and rules and regulations that choke out the very love in our life for God and others. It just starts happening. And Larry says it, it's accidental, but it happens. And so this Jesus, this authority that He claimed, He says, I am greater than your rules. Hey, listen, that, the Old Testament is full of rules about that. He said, I'm here to tell you something about God and about life. I am greater than your rule. And I just want to put that marker down for you. If your rule keeping and my rule keeping, if our attempt to do the right thing all the if it makes us harder and harsher and less loving, it's, we're on the wrong end of the stick on this thing. Does that make sense? So the authority that Jesus claimed, man, he, he, he claimed all kinds of work. I'm going to do this on the Sabbath. And then watch this, he said, he also because he was calling himself or calling God his Father, making himself equal with God. And isn't it interesting to call God your Father? They interpret that as being equal. I don't have time to unpack all this. But, but this is a fascinating understanding of rabbinical Judaism. That there's no evidence in the rabbinical t- teaching that any, any person ever addressed God as Abba, our Father. There's no evidence in the rabbinical teaching. If you really want to dig in this, you need to study a guy named Jeremias, uh, uh, J-E-R-E-M-I-A-S, Joachim Jeremias, a German scholar uh, on the parables of Jesus. But he said, nobody ever called God Father. No written prayers like that. Isn't it interesting that one of the reasons they want to kill Jesus is because he's talking about or declaring that he has an intimate relationship with God? You know, that makes some people nervous, doesn't it? That makes some people nervous when somebody says, well, you don't have this intimate relationship with Jesus. I remember some years ago, I had a person say this to me, and it it, it shattered me a bit when they said, you know, Cliff, you talk a lot about God, but you don't talk a lot about Jesus. I thought, huh, that made me mad first. (laughs) That's when I wanted to talk about my degrees. (laughs) Right then. Do you know who you're talking to? It, this was a long time before I got a doctor, long, long, long time ago. And I thought, you know, my language sometimes gives me away to talk about God. Nothing wrong. I'm not saying I'm not trying to put any guilt on you. But you know, people will get nervous when you start talking about an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. When you begin to talk about Jesus as if you actually... I, I said to Becky one time, we'll talk about this later, but... Carl Medeiros, when I heard this guy years ago, Mike knew him in Lebanon and spent time with him. Dan knows him. We've been I just said to Becky one time, I just, and I just said this. I said, Becky, this guy knows this guy Jesus in a way that I don't think I do. This, this guy knows Jesus in a way I don't, I, don't, I don't think I do. He speaks of him so freely. And, and, so, and, and his, his influence in my life has been remarkable the last five years. But, but this idea of intimacy. So they were going to kill him because he called himself or called God his father. 
and, and claiming equality. In other words, I'm a child of God. I'm not just a servant. See, Israel understood themselves as the servant of God. Now, God called them, Israel, my son. But in the rabbinical teaching, there's lots of understanding that, that they just understood themselves as servants. Just servants. I'm a servant of the Lord. I, I, that language is there. I'm, you know, it's all in the New Testament that we're a servant of the Lord. But our primary identity, our primary understanding has to be that we're children of God. That He's our Father. That we're His child. And that this intimacy, so this authority that Jesus claims, says, I have a relationship. Well, I, I just wonder what would our life look like if, if our rules cause greater concern and if our relationship was more intimate. Now, maybe, maybe we can talk about that some more at length. Anyway, that's for the second thing here. The life he lived. Boy, I've just been laying down on this thing here. This is, this is a heavy part here. That's why, again, I just put FF. We may not get past this. Therefore, Jesus is saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the Father doing. I want you to mark something in your Bible. I, I, I will never get there, okay? Maybe someday. But Jesus says this, I don't do anything unless I see the Father doing it. And then look over here in verse 30. I, I, I just don't have time to unpack all that. But He says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. Who's He listening to? His Father. Notice this. Jesus went through life seeing and hearing. Think about that for a second. He went through life saying, I don't do anything unless I see my Father is doing it. And I don't do anything or I, I, I don't do, I'm not involved in anything. He said, I can do nothing on my own initiative as I hear. I just, so seeing, and I'm just going to ask you this question and we're going to go to the details. I wonder in my own life, how much of my life do I go through life looking, seeing, and hearing? Or I've already my mind, my mind made up. Is my mind already made up with what's going to happen today? I mean, I've got a phone with a calendar. I, I, I thought I lost my phone one day, and I was going to put on email. If if you have an appointment in the next six years, contact me. <laughs> really, this is my life. My, you know, I live by this thing. I, you know, it's the law of the Medes and Persians. If it's on the calendar, it will get done, and if it isn't, I won't. I missed a party the other night because somebody sent me a deal, and I didn't put on my phone, and so I don't think they sent me an invitation actually. I'm having the invitation looked at, Bill, just, just so you know. Uh, but, but this idea of I, I, I'm going through life, I'm only doing what I see the Father does. And I'm only going to judge or do things by what I hear from the Father. This is remarkable. What does this mean? Look what it says. Jesus says, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of Himself unless He sees it that the Father is doing that. And whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Notice here, what could that mean? I'm going to give you three possibilities here, at least as I see this. Uh, Jesus might be saying, and by the way, notice here at verse uh, twenty or 19, truly, truly, um, in Hebrew, there is no superlative form of the adjective. And so if you want to emphasize something, it's not great, greater, greatest. In order to emphasize something in Hebrew or Aramaic, you say it twice. If you say, truly I say to you, that, it's, a, it, it's truly, truly. 
when somebody says truly, they're doubling it because that means you better, you know, sort of like this. You know, you, you know somebody say, well, do you, well I, I dare you to do that. Well, you don't have to do that. Here we go. Or I double dog dare you. You might have to do it. If they triple dog, you have to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. Jesus is saying like this. Hey, listen, you, you need to listen to it truly, truly. I'm saying to something to you that I'm emphasizing here for you to hear. So what does it mean? That the, 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 the son can't do anything unless he sees the father doing One scholar has this idea that Jesus is really only saying, I only do what I see my father is a shorthand kind of way. I'm, I'm only doing what would be my father doing if he were here. I, I only do what I can see. In other words, kind of colloquially, I only do what I see my father doing. It's sort of the WWJD thing. What would Jesus do? Jesus is saying, you know, the only thing I do is what I know that when I'm in life or in situations, that that's what my father would do if he were here. That's an interesting question for us. Do do we ever ask ourselves before we get ready to do something, you know, is this something that God would do? Is this something that Jesus would do? You know, I... I, as I live life like you do with their pressures, or Becky keeps reminding me that when people don't drive the way they should, that they can't hear me. <laughs> they should be able to, but they can't. I have asked that question recently, no kidding. Would, would God be yelling at these people? <laughs> would Jesus be yelling at these guys? My answer is sure. I mean, he, I'm just trying to help them. <laughs> just trying to help. I'm a teacher by nature, right? I mean, we, what, if, what if that question, what if Jesus is saying, look, the things that I do are the only, the only, the only things that I do are the things that I see my father doing. You know, you, you make that statement sometimes to people say, oh, I can see you doing that. Why? Because they know your nature. They say, oh, yeah, I can see you doing that. I mean, people will make statements and, and stuff like that. Uh, uh, I, 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 I can see you doing that. Maybe that's what Jesus is saying. Maybe the second one here possibility is, is this, is Jesus is just saying, I have absolute dependence on my Father in everything that I do. I, I, I won't do anything if I don't see Him doing it. My, my answer, my, my, my response to doing something is, well, does somebody think I should do it? <laughs> you know, we all live by other people's standards at times. Do other people think I should do this? You know, do, do, do other people think this should happen or does, does my church... Or, no, Jesus is saying, look, I am completely dependent on my Father. If, if I don't see Him do it, I'm not doing it. You know, this raises an interesting thing. I, I, I just uh, wrote my notes here. I say that Jesus is God and man in constant dependence on His Father. I, I guess the question I ask is this. Did Jesus really have to... Or is that just kind of a fake thing He's doing? You know, he's God, you know, he's God. So he, he can kind of, he's just saying that for our instruction. Or is Jesus so fully God and fully man? Listen to me now. That he has to depend on his Father the same way you and I need to. Here's the question I have for me. Why is Jesus so dependent on his Father and why am I so independent of him? I 
Why is it? I have this question now, and I, I don't have it all worked out. You know, I, I tell my students sometimes, you have to understand I'm an extrovert. I know that's a big shock to people. Uh, but there are a lot of times when I'm talking about stuff, I'm trying to work it out out here. I don't, I don't work it out at the table with a desk and a pen. I work it out here. But here's the question. Can you and I live like Jesus if we depended on His Father like He did? I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm not trying to make guilt, legal, none of that deal. I'm just, I'm just trying to ask the question. He said, well, we can't live like Jesus. I said, well, okay. Okay, but you're begging the question here. How did Jesus live? You know, how did Jesus live? They said, well, He lived in dependence. Can we do that? I had a person ask me this not long ago. They said, they were, ta- we we're talking about the nature of salvation and different stuff like that, and they think I know stuff. And I, you know, sometimes I just say I don't know. But this guy says this question. Cliff, let me ask you something. Uh, you, you know, I've heard people say, you know, that if you sin, you know, blah blah blah. They said, you know, if I were a follower of Jesus and and I was driving down the road and and I sinned and then right then I had a car wreck and I died, would I go to heaven? And I said, I want to ask you one question. If you knew you're about to have a car wreck and die, would you've done that sin? Well, no. That's your answer. That's your answer. You know, I wonder if our lives are more an indication of our intention, which is what we want to do, or what's really available to us. He said, well, of course not. I wouldn't do that if I knew I was going to die. I wouldn't want to sin and then get right in the presence of God. Well, then why would you do it at all? Is it a lack of power or lack of intention? Is Jesus so dialed in, dependent, that He says, I, this is the way I live. I don't do anything unless I see my Father doing it. How would our lives change if we did that? How would it be? You say, well, Cliff, in the real world, I uh, was listening to some uh, tapes going out to Colorado by Richard Rohr, and, and a guy said, well, you know, Cliff, in a perfect world, that's how we could live, you know. And when this guy said this to Richard Rohr, Richard Rohr said, that's exactly why it needs to be lived, because there is no perfect world. That's the world that Jesus put us in. To live. Our problem is we're too self-sufficient. We've got too many things. We've got too much we can rely on. People in the two-thirds world that followers of Jesus, they live so much different. Now, I'm not, I'm not telling you to go sell your car, you know, unless you want to give me a great deal on it. Then I would. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you, sell your car and don't live in a house. And I'm not talking about don't go on vacation. No, you should not go on vacation. I just did, but you know. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I am saying that our biggest problem is our lack of dependence on Jesus. And I don't know how we will fix that. I, I, you know, I'm not, again, I'll tell you, sell your car and don't have a job and you know, live on the street. I, I don't know. I'll tell you what I tell my students. And I've said this to you. It's your inadequacy that creates your capacity for God to work in your life. It's your inadequacy that creates the capacity for God to work in your life. You get cancer, you're probably going to have lots more capacity for God. You lose your job that you've had for 30 years, you probably have lots more capacity. I'm not asking for that to happen. I'm not saying that. I'm, not. I'm just saying we, we live in such an insulated kind of world. We don't have much inadequacy. 
So therefore, we don't have much capacity. This is sort of the descent down. This is, here's what I would do. I encourage you. I think that if we kind of put our nose in a place in the Bible, maybe every day, that this inadequacy might increase some. I recommend that you read the Sermon on the Mount. Try that on for size. And be serious about that Jesus wants us to live like that. Pray for your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you. You know, do, do those kind of things. Or, or go read the first eight verses of 1 Corinthians 13 that says no matter what you do, if it isn't with love, it doesn't matter. I find that as I read those and take it seriously, my capacity starts increasing. Because I keep saying, oh, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that. You know, I want to get even with my enemies. Or I at least want them to come to me sad with what they've done. Right? Yeah. That's what I want to do. And admit that I was right, they were wrong. You know. So, so, so you know, when you want to increase your capacity, again, I'm not saying don't go do something stupid. Don't, you know, don't drink Diet Coke till you, you grow a third eye, you know, or something like that. I don't, I don't, maybe that'd do that. You know, but, but in, 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 in developing capacity... It's by keeping our nose involved and in the Scripture. Now, let me give you a third one. This, this is a third. This one is a little harder to figure. Another possibility here. I don't do anything unless I see my Father doing it. Is it possible that Jesus is saying, you may not know this, but my Father is working right now. He's in the world. He is actually working now. I, th- this is a little mystical. This is a little supernatural, which we all need a little dose of every once in a while. To think that when you are in your world and in your life at work or at home or in your neighborhood or on the mission field, God's already there working. Some of you have been to the mission. You come back and you say, you know when we got there, it was the craziest coincidence. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Are you sure you want to use that word? Or is it that God is in the world working and Jesus is saying, I'm just looking at Him. He's he's in the pride. He's coming to heal this guy. I'm going to touch Him. He's over here working with this group of people to, to bring them to His own self. You see, God is involved in the Word. He's not waiting for me and you that we just show up. He, he was there before we got there. He's working. He's calling people. He's dealing with people. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures here real quick. Uh, these are incredible examples to me how God is working in the world before we get there. Well, I can say this. What, this week, if you did one thing that expressed your dependence on the Father, what would it be? If you did one, just one thing, you, you know what it could be? That before you hit the Starbucks, you know, or before you get out the door, take five minutes to pray that God would guide you this day. Just five minutes. And just say, my dependence is that before I get out of this house, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Jesus to, to guide me. That's dependence. He's in the world. It's a guy we talked a little bit about before at one time. His name is Tamarant Laney. Laney. He was a lecturing there, I think, at Whitworth College in California. Uh, uh, Tamarant is a guy who in 1991 helped overthrow the Ethiopian government. That's pretty good on your job description, you know. What do you, on your resume, oh, we overthrow a government, we set up another government, <clears throat> you know. Uh, Tamarant was a guerrilla fighter and 
atheist uh, communist. Had grown up in terrible oppression in Ethiopia. It had been very difficult and, and uh, had become a, to, you know, to, to overtake the government. Anyway, they, they, he, he gets together with like four guys and, and he, he's an incredible leader. Uh, and 10,000 people and an army now that he has that he commands and they, they overthrow the government. When they overthrow the government, now, you know, their people have different opinions and you can read all different kinds of stuff. But we, I, I sat by this guy at dinner in Washington, D.C. And uh, I asked him this question. I said, Tamron, uh, what do you see the difference in the church in America and where you've been? And he just went, <laughs> you don't want to know. And I, no, I, I want to know. We're at this little fish restaurant called Pesci's that Dan and all them take us. And he said, Cliff, there is no interest in God. There just is no interest in God. I said, Tamron, I'm going to take that. I, I understand it. I get that. I, I know there are exceptions. But I know in, in the main, there's a lot of that monkey business going on the, in, in our culture. So Tamron, after they take over the government, the guys, you know, power is a funny thing. You don't like the people that have it, but when you get it, you're pretty cool with it. <clears throat> so they overthrow the government, and he believes that the group that he was with, the guy that was president, he was prime minister, weren't being radical enough in helping the poor. And, but, so they trumped up some charges on him and threw him in prison for about 15 years. Tamarit is in the prison and asking himself, Why did, what, what's this all for? Why did I do this? What's this for? Now I'm going to rot in a jail. After seven years of asking that question, seven years, <clears throat> he's angry. He's filled with venom to these people. One night, or one afternoon, he's got one little window, you know, it's a deal. One day, he's in his bunk, and this presence comes into his room. And he says, Tamarant, I am Jesus, and I can answer all your questions. If you'll follow me, if you'll follow me. He left, and Tamara said, I don't believe this. I, you know, I drank too much Kool-Aid or something. I don't know. You know, blood sugar. He said, I don't believe this. I mean, he's, he's not a willing participant here. <laughs> I don't believe it. The next day, the same one comes. I asked him, I said, could you see his face? He said, I couldn't. I'm over here talking to you. These other guys are eating. And can't, you know, could you see his face? No, he said, I couldn't see his face. But I knew who, he said who he was. He said, I, on that second time, just said, I, I don't know what to do, but I will follow you. So he just knelt down by his bunk and, and asked Jesus to help him figure out what it meant to follow him. And so he started following. Got a Bible, started reading. <clears throat> began to realize as he read the Scriptures, his big ministry now, he lives in Denver, is on forgiveness. And Jesus said to him, you've got to forgive the people that put you in prison. He said, I want to kill them. <laughs> he still got a little carnal nature to me. <laughs> Not perfect. I want to kill them. He said, no, we've got to. And so finally, after 15 years, now this happens, so he's still in prison. You know, this isn't a Christian movie. You know, he asked Jesus in his heart, and the next day they let him out of jail. <laughs> no, eight more years he's in prison. Wasting away, they think, but he's growing. Anyway, he, he uh, comes out of jail, goes to the president who put him in prison and says, I want you to know I forgive you. I'm a follower of Jesus now. He finds out that when he'd been put in prison, his wife had been ec ec uh, evacuated, escaped to Kenya. 
And they haven't seen each other in 15 years. They haven't talked. So he gets to Kenya to find his wife and children. And he goes up to her and he says, I have something to tell you. And she goes, no, I've got something to tell you. And no, no, me first. You know, now they're already arguing. They've been for 15 years and they're arguing. Man, absence does not make the heart grow fonder, okay? So now they're arguing. And she says, Tamarit, I have to tell you something. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm no longer a communist. She hadn't talked to him. She believes he's still a communist. And he said, so am I, a follower of Jesus. What happened to you? She said, Tamarit, I was in this refugee camp, and one evening, this person came to my bunk and said he was Jesus, and that if I would follow him, he would take my life and make it what it ought to be. Now, these are the humblest, quietest people I've ever met in my life. I can't believe this guy's a guerrilla fighter. He's so, I, huh, what? Say that again. I mean, he's really quiet. They discovered it was within a day of each other. Now, listen, I know this guy. He's the real deal. He's the most humble, kind, godly guy I've ever met. Dan knows him. Uh, uh, you know, is God doing that kind of stuff? Real quick. It's a guy named Fa- Naim Fazal. I have a friend that works in mission work in the other part of the world, and they were talking about how to reach unreached peoples, Muslims, Hindus, and like that. I don't know if you know this is not, you know, maybe you're not dialed in or what, but on the, the world missions. But what's happening in the world now right now is that Jesus is showing up in people's houses and telling them to follow him. This guy grew up in Kuwait, a Muslim, whose brother came to the United States and became uh, going to school, became a Christian, came home, and, and Naeem was going to kill him for becoming a Christian. He then comes and visits his brother Long story short, Jesus shows up in his room. And I know, if you're thinking, I think, why didn't that happen to me? (laughs) I don't know. Desperate times call for desperate measures. I just want to tell you, around the world, Jesus is showing up. And missiologists are understanding that it isn't just hand them a track. It's sometimes just wait and they'll show up. And they'll say, Jesus told me, some stories, Jesus told me to come to this church that you would tell me how to follow him. John Bodecker, a friend of mine who's a Church of God minister, John went to India and an imam from the mosque showed up and said, Jesus told me to come here that you would tell me how I could follow him. Maybe our arrogance and our propositional, what what Richard Rohr calls our printified Christianity, Printified. Listen to that word now. Printified. I will tell you this, for my life, for your life, the greatest need is for us to have a real encounter with a real Jesus who's out there in the world making Himself known. Maybe if we'd open our lives, open ourselves up a little bit and just say, Jesus, would you make Yourself known to me?
more than in the printified version. I mean, I know what Jesus said and I believe it and I study it and I teach it. But there's somebody behind this book. His name is Jesus. And He's real. He's not our hero. He's not our model. He's our Father and our friend. So, uh, maybe what it means is that Jesus knew His Father was really on the loose in the world. And when He saw His Father doing something, He did it. Maybe if we had that kind of issue in our life that we'd had this living Jesus come off the page, we'd live different. I'd live different. We'd all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, man, You are harder to handle and contain than we've ever imagined. And uh, we want to be part of that life that transcends pages, that becomes real in our daily living, that lets you out of the box, that lets you out of our restrictions. So help us as we hear your words here, that we would look to you for this kind of life. We pray in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We'll finish this next week.